Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. church. Good morning. How is everybody on this beautiful sunny day? It's really windy out there, eh? Pastor Larry, I really like your shirt. You know, I'm confused about something. I thought it was awesome two Sundays ago, coming to church completely unplanned, finding out that we coordinated. And, you know, it wasn't anything we communicated, but I'm just kind of like, what on earth is going Spirit, on? Like, he just, yeah, sent a memo out, I think. Everybody was supposed to, you know, wear the same shirt. What's it all about? Do you know? Do you know? Well, I don't know, but I think somebody's going to tell us. There's a video that's going to tell a- us all about what these shirts are. Let's watch. You may be seated. Tis the season to be giving. La, 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 la. Stop the shells of WLO. La 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 la. Pack a box for the homeless in winter. La 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 la. la. Don't forget the little children. La 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 la. WCF, how many ways can you spread Christmas cheer this season? Dropping off your canned goods here in the Kids Church foyer. Number two, give to CAS Kids. Come to the Children's Church foyer and grab an ornament off the tree. Purchase the gifts for them, bring them back here, and help support a child at CAS. Number three, gift to the homeless. Come on down to the information booth, pick up an empty box, decorate it with your kids however you like. Pack it with the necessary items, and our evangelism teams will hand them out to the homeless. Thanks so much. Number four, give to J-A-M, jam. 
provide hope in a bowl, reducing hunger one child at a time. Come check us out in the main foyer. That's four ways to give during our four weeks of giving, starting today. Okay, well, so today we're going to continue with our series, Beautifully Broken, and we're going to start with part two. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of a, a recap to get everybody on the same page of where we did part one. So um, a little bit of a summary. So we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the free will of man and how when God created Adam and Eve, he created them and he gave them a gift and that gift was free will. And then when they made a choice as a part of that free will and the fall happened, we entered into sin and brokenness at that time, but we still have free will. And that was God's gift. But as we now are broken and we're living in a sinful and a fallen world, we are trying to return to that place of wholeness. But you see, when we're trying to return to that place of wholeness, we're trying to cover up and we're trying to mend all these things that when the fall happened, we have this pot here that we had a couple weeks ago and it was broken and we broke it. And that shows our brokenness in a sinful fallen world. And when we come into that brokenness, we spend what feels like eternity trying to actually cover up our brokenness and not let anybody see it. But in reality, we are all broken. And we talked about how, you know, in the midst of all of that brokenness and why do bad things happen to good people and in all the midst of that brokenness, we serve an awesome God, a just God, a faithful God, a merciful God. And we know that in all of those things, he sees all, he knows all, everything is exposed before him and that we will all give account for what is said and done before him on the day of judgment. We know when we talked about too, some of you know, uh, the myths that you know, we have in Christianity and that we can sometimes adopt as our, our thinking and they become truth to us. And we talked about how um, you know, that uh, God doesn't use people. You're not a game, you're not like a pawn and a chess game and he's moving you around and putting you where he wants you. But we, we talked about how God works in his people. He works in us to work through us, shaping and molding our character and in the fullness where he sits in, in eternity, his perspective is eternal, that he is weaving all those things together in our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. He's bringing all of those things together. And that we also talked about that never, right? Never does God doesn't tempt, that evil doesn't come from him, that trial and testing, that's not from him. That is from the enemy. But God works in all of those things through us and in us, weaving all of that together, bringing good into our lives. And so we want to, as we come into uh, Beautifully Broken and we're talking about part two, we want to talk a little bit more about how our pain and our brokenness has a purpose. And God is weaving and he is in control and he is working all of those things out 
uh, in our lives and with each other, bringing all that together to bring about a beautiful purpose. And that um, in the same way that Jesus died and made way for life, that our brokenness, our death makes way for life. It makes way for a life that's beautifully broken and submitted to Jesus that will come forth. So as we talk about some things, I wanna, I wanna set a little bit of a framework. I wanna read Proverbs 11, verse four. And you know, as, as Christians, the whole intention for us is to be doing life with Jesus in relationship with him, in intimacy with him, connected with him, okay? So apart our perfection, so this would be, this would be you and what you wanna call your perfection, but this is what you, you, you really look like, okay? And apart from Jesus, your perfection means nothing, serves nothing and benefits no one but you. And actually that benefit is only temporary because anything done apart from Jesus accomplishes nothing, the word tells us. So I wanna read Proverbs eleven four. It says, when the day of judgment comes, all the wealth of the world won't help you one bit. So you'd better be rich in righteousness for that's the only thing that can save you from death. So apart from Jesus, you will do nothing. And one of the things that we have to remember, um, one of the truths that will help us bring purpose and power and beauty to our brokenness is as Christians, who gets the glory? Because it's in our weakness that Christ is demonstrated strong. In our weakness that Christ gets the glory. Because you know, one of the other myths we talked about is God doesn't give you more than you can handle, but on the end of that, it's with him. And the whole reason that you have more than you can handle in life and that you need him is that if you could do it yourself, if you've got it, how does God get the glory? And if you wanna live out your God's story as Christians, if you want, we want to live out our purpose, we want to live out the plan that God has for our life, the only way that that's accomplished is with God. Because his plan, his story is the fullness of it is so much more than you could ever imagine. But only with him can you get it done because you can do what only you can do. But then God takes over and does what only God can do. So then he gets the glory, amen. In John 15 verses four to eight, it says, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to me. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. So apart from Jesus, you will do nothing. Nothing of eternal value, nothing that will give back 
into the kingdom of God. It says, if a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. So what will happen to our works apart from Jesus? They fade away. They'll be burned up. They are to ash. They won't come through the fire because they were done apart from the Lord. It says, but if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. And when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my father. It says in Psalms 1 verses 2 to 3, it says, his pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of God. So as Christians, our passion, our delight, our pleasure, our longing, our need is to be with the Lord and we delight in his word. We delight in meditating on it day and night. And it says, as a result of this, you will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design. It's not an accident. It's by God's design. Deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of life. He is never dry, never fainting, ever blessed and ever prosperous will you be. You know, there are some seasons of our life, the winter of our life where we feel such brokenness, brokenness that leaves us in such despair. And the only place we can go, the only place as Christians that we should be going is to the cross of Christ, to Jesus. You know, family, God does his best work in obscurity. God doesn't give you more than you can handle with him. So when it's more than you can handle, we're supposed to be running to him. And in the secret place, in the quiet place, in the place that you go to with him, he does his best work on your heart. And he takes those places of brokenness and he pours into you and refines your character. Burning away all the chaff. Everything that might hinder you from glorifying his name. He's pouring gold into you or refining you and shaping your character so that you become more like him. But the only way that that happens is when we run to him and when we go to him. And it's painful sometimes. And we wonder sometimes, Lord, how? How is anything good supposed to come out of this? I'm so broken. It hurts really bad. God's so bad that I feel it in my physical body. I can't breathe. I feel pain everywhere. I can't even get out of bed. I'm so despondent. Lord, where are you? He's there. Even when you can't see it, he's moving. He's working in our lives. He's lifting us up. And even in the winter season, 
as you lean into him, as you press into him, you will flourish. You will stand firm. You will not be moved. It says in Philippians 4, 12, 13, we know these verses, church. They need to bear life to our soul in those moments when we're feeling pressed. Paul says, I know what it means to lack and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger, I find the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. In Psalm 139, 10 and 11, scripture reminds us, God's word reminds us, wherever I go, your hand will guide me, your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask darkness to hide me. For your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. You know, in those seasons when we're being pressed, we're being squeezed, and God is refining our character, and he's pouring gold into those places of brokenness, it requires, as Christians, that we obey him. Obedience. Not just in general obedience, personal obedience to what God is asking you to do. I want to read in 1 Samuel 15, 22. As Christians, one of the ways that we can bring purpose and that God brings beauty to our brokenness is by our obedience. And Samuel replied, verse 15, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. You know, doing the right thing is always hardest when it's gonna cost you dearly, when it means you need to die to yourself and to put somebody else's welfare before your own. What does Jesus remind us that no greater love that can we show one for another than we lay down our lives for each other. And one of the ways that we get trapped from disregarding personal obedience that God gives us, he's spoken to us and he's told us to do something. But one of the traps we fall into as Christians and, and one of the ways the enemy gets us is by comparison and competition. Instead of the standard of Jesus Christ and the cross as what we look to, we look at our brother and our sister beside us and we compare and we compete. And that draws you away from your personal identity, from what God has been asking you to do. It will rob you of all joy. It will rob you of the contentment and the peace that you will find when you obey God and do what he's asked you to do. And the enemy wants you to compare and compete with your brother and sister because he wants to distract you from your identity and from your purpose. Because he knows if you step into your purpose and your identity, it's done. It's over. And that you've stepped into the call and the purpose and the plan of destiny that God has for your life. 
I want to read in um, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 3.11. It says, ask yourselves, is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourselves with others? Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? If so, this proves that you are living your lives centered on yourselves, dominated by the mindset of the flesh and behaving like unbelievers. So when we compare and when we compete, we are not behaving as Christ's children. We're not behaving as ambassadors of Christ. We are behaving like unbelievers. When you divide yourselves up into groups, a Paul group, an Apollos group, you're acting like people without the Spirit's influence. Who is Apollos really and who is Paul? Aren't we, they both servants through who you believed our message? Aren't each of us doing the ministry of the Lord that has assigned to us? I was the one who planted the church and Apollos came and cared for it, but it was God who caused it to grow. This means the one who plants is not anybody special, nor the one who waters, for it is God who brings the supernatural growth. When we do what God has called us to do personally in our personal obedience, you will get your reward. And what you do is we are equal in the eyes of God. If God has asked you to do something and you obey it, then you have fulfilled your purpose that he has asked you to do and you will receive your reward. But when your eyes get off of him and we look to our brother or sister and we want what they have, and that's not what God has for us, our works are in the flesh and they're not God works. So they will be burned up and go into ash and they will mean nothing and benefit no one in eternity. It's, we need to be doing these things. It says here at the very bottom, it says in that end scripture, God has cultivated the garden, the house he is building. God has given me a unique gift. So all of us have a unique gift. As a skilled builder who lays the foundation. Afterward, when the foundation is laid, that means another craftsman. So that somebody's called to give, somebody's called to send, somebody's called to build, somebody's called to do these things. And God is crafting and designing and building it all and layering it all, everybody with a unique function and purpose. Let every builder do his work carefully according to God's standard. For no one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good work that Christ Jesus has done. So that we have to remember that everything we do, we have to do it as unto the Lord, not as to unto, to get for selfish ambition or gain or for ourselves or to promote what we want. We need to be making sure that our motive is that we're serving the Lord, that our, we want to serve our brothers and sisters. You know, another way that we fall and take our eyes off of Jesus is when we fall into a spirit of fear and when we allow fear to take a hold of ourselves, our decisions and what we do. And Pastor Larry has some amazing insights on this and I want to have him come up and share. You know, um, whenever you're doing like a series of messages, especially for me, I, you know, I like to have everything structured and organized, you know, the second message figured out kind of, 
you know, before I even do the first message. And, and you know, and so as Pastor Mary and I have been dialoguing, and, and honestly, this message has been stirring in our hearts for a long time. And we've been dialoguing about this message even from the beginning of 2020. And, um, and so, in essence, in my mind, in our minds, you know, there was a clear direction as to what we were going to do, where we were going to go. And then uh, I, I believe the spirit threw, I was going to say a monkey wrench, but does the spirit throw a monkey wrench? Uh, I don't know. Anyways, I don't think so. But, you know, um, Wednesday night as I was lying in bed and, and meditating on some of the elements of the message, my portion of the message, I just really, really felt strongly in my spirit that, that I was on the wrong path. And uh, for me, I'm, anybody who knows me, that doesn't work very well. Uh, because I like to have everything figured out, organized. But from Thursday morning, and even after talking with Pastor Mary, going through what's going on and, and the message and whatnot, um, from that point till Saturday morning, I just never had peace. And Saturday morning, um, God sent a message, a messenger, that uh, completely downloaded into, into my spirit. And um, as it was happening, everything inside of me was uh, just saying, this is your message. This is your message. And as it's happening in my mind, there was a spiritual attack that came against me. And... and um, Thoughts like, who do you think you are to give that message? That's not your job. That's Pastor RJ's job. And uh, just really everything against me, coming against me, saying, you know, Larry, you, you're not qualified for that. Um, who, who do you think you are? My heart rate went up. My uh, chest felt like it was caving in and around me. And like Pastor Mary was talking about, sometimes not even being able to breathe. That's what it felt like Saturday morning. But in my spirit, I'm receiving and I'm receiving and I'm receiving. And the overwhelming message that uh, came to me um, had to do with the spirit of fear. And uh, I want to establish that um, a little bit more this morning for you. But before I get into that, I want to ask six very specific questions. But as I ask these questions, I want you to answer. And I know it's, it's kind of difficult for everybody to individually answer me, but you can answer me with, with your response by standing up. It's, it's critically important, not for me, but it's critically important for you that you respond in obedience to these questions. Are you willing to do that? Can I hear an amen? I am willing to do that. Amen. Okay. Over the last several months, have you felt overwhelmed by almost everything that you needed to do? If you can relate to that, I want you to stand up. Have you found that even simple tasks seem impossible? Have you experienced a heaviness and hopelessness making you feel abandoned by God and even feeling worthless? If that's you, stand up. Have you felt completely ineffective like a failure at your job, in your marriage, even as a parent? 
Have you felt waking up in the morning that you just want to stay in bed, you want to isolate, you want to tune everyone out? Have you considered, for those of you perhaps that have a calling in a ministry, have you considered your ministry and your place of worship as a place that's ineffective and worthless, asking yourself, why do I even bother going to church? Please stay standing. If you've related to any of these things, please stay standing. Take a minute and look around. Do you know that in those moments when we're feeling these things, we feel alone? But look around you. You're not alone. Over 50% of you have stood up. You can, you can sit down. Every one of these emotions... They leave us feeling completely broken, of no use. These emotions that I've just described to you. Now, listen carefully. These emotions that you have testified that you have experienced them, they are the spirit of Jezebel that has come upon you. Now, before you get overwhelmed and and, and say, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute here, pastor. I don't have the spirit of Jezebel. I want to bring some clarity into this. Back in February, March, when our world was turned upside down with COVID-19, I really sensed in my spirit that along with the virus that came upon the entire world to infect, there was a spiritual virus that came with it. And it wasn't until yesterday morning that I really, with clarity, understood the intensity of that. I am now convinced, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the spirit that was sent along with the virus is the virus of Jezebel. For many, this pandemic that has come across around the whole world has left many in a state of brokenness. Financially, emotionally, relationally, even physically broken. To help us understand a little bit more clearly, I want to tell you a story from the Bible. It comes from 1 Kings 19. We've all heard, or most of us have heard of the, the prophet Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets to have ever lived. And trying to imagine, he prays fire down from heaven to consume a stone altar that was drenched with water, along with everything that was on top of it, consumed. Then, and he did that to prove that there was only one God. And then following that, he kills 400 prophets of Baal, to eradicate idolatry from the land of Israel. A powerful man. A man connected to God. A man who's got it all together. A man who's whole, complete. And then Queen Jezebel sends a message. A messenger. And this message that Elijah received was, if by that by this time tomorrow, the next day, I will do to you what you have done to these prophets. 
she was bent on killing Elijah. And Elijah, like a dog with its tail between its legs, runs and hides in fear. And it says in um, 1 Kings 19, verses 3 and 4, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone, isolated, into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah was infected by the virus of Jezebel. God passed by. He, he later goes into a mountain, into a cave. And I, and I picture Elijah in this cave in fetal position, crawled up, feeling worthless, insignificant, powerless. God passed by several times. But Elijah was, he, he, he was done. The spell had come upon him. He would succumb to the Jezebel spirit. <clears throat> he took his eyes off of Jesus, off of God, and fell into a state of brokenness. A brokenness so deep that God had to finally send a pickup truck to go and pick him up and bring him back to heaven. You know, personally, I, I can't count the number of times that I've experienced intense brokenness. Feelings of worthlessness. Just a farm boy. What good are you? Remembering the words of my teachers that said, you'll never amount to anything. Looking back over all the years that I've tried to fix myself, I realized something very important. I realized the value of my brokenness. My brokenness wasn't for me. My brokenness is a very vital, critical part of my identity. But it wasn't for me. There are some things that God can only do through us and in us when we are in a state of brokenness. So how do you find beauty in your brokenness? I have four things. But before we go into the four things... One critical element. If you identified with any one of these emotions, and sometimes in moments when we succumb to the depression of brokenness, to the despair of brokenness, we need to confess. We need to fall down on our knees and we need to confess, Father God, forgive me for taking my eyes off of you. Number one, we need to learn to praise God in our brokenness. We need to praise God for our brokenness. Jesus said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, he says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in your brokenness, in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast, says Paul, about my weaknesses so that the power of Jesus Christ can work through me. 
And that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and, all, and in all the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Jesus Christ. For when I am weak, then, and only then, am I strong. Second, allow your brokenness to develop your character. Ooh, that one hurts. It hurts. I don't like my character chiseled away at. When we are broken, do you know that it is in a state of brokenness that we actually recognize a need to be fixed? It is in our brokenness that we recognize that we need Jesus. Because we've come to a place like I did a while back. This doesn't look very good. It's not very pleasing. As hard as I tried on my own to fix my own brokenness, it left me feeling wanting in a really big way. James 1, 2-4 says, My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulty, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as endurance grows even stronger, it can release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Third, allow your brokenness to guide you to your purpose. So, for so many of us, it is our brokenness that keeps us from our purpose. But God has allowed us to be broken for our purpose because our purpose is associated with it. Do you know, when we were missionaries in Bolivia and, and um, we were trying to help or establish uh, leadership teams and, and uh, to mature this uh, body of Christ who are, we're all brand new Christians into a place of function and place of operating in their gifting and whatnot, um, one of the critical elements in establishing their position and their calling within the church was to gain an understanding of their brokenness and to realize that it is out of their own brokenness that they serve. Why is that? Because when you serve out of your brokenness, you realize that it is not any personal ability of your own. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit operating within you that you're able to serve. Lastly, tell your story. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 66, verse 16. He says, come and listen, all who fear God. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? Come and listen. And I will tell you what he has done for me. Testimonies give hope and strength and faith. Our testimony is evidence of God's faithfulness and his redeeming power in our own lives. It helps believers and non-believers alike to see physical evidence of what God can do when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. It is the message of Christ made visible for all to see and believe that he has come to set 
captives free. To heal the brokenhearted. Do you know, the reality is this. Your story may be the story that redeems the life of another. Your failure to tell your story may be the difference between somebody's salvation and them going to hell. In the legal world, they call that accomplice. Are you willing to be an accomplice for somebody's eternity? Your story may be the difference between somebody staying like this and somebody experiencing the beauty of brokenness. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says, and they have defeated him, they being Christians, God's people, they've defeated him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb. It's a constant battle. We're always at war with the enemy. But as we allow the blood of the lamb to accentuate our brokenness, we find purpose, we find healing, and as we act in obedience towards that, we experience God's authority, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon us, and we go forward with boldness and confidence, knowing that my brokenness can change the life of another. As I listened, as I shared two weeks ago, as I listened to the story of Charles, his story opened a crack in my life, allowing me to recognize that as he was telling his story, I heard my story being told. And it softened my heart to respond in obedience. And as you hear me share my story, portions of my story, I hope that you are opening up your hearts even now to respond. I'm going to ask the band to come. They're going to sing a song. Just as the gold in this vase makes it more beautiful than its original state, I'll be honest, I, I find this much more attractive than this. Jesus' beauty is in what he did for us on the cross. Can we say an amen to that? His sacrifice, his broken body, and his shed blood. Jesus suffered everything for you and me. Is it too much to say, I'm thankful for his scars? Are you thankful for his scars? You can uh, take this off. Do you know that Jesus suffered everything for you and me? When I think back to Charles, I can honestly say I'm thankful for his scars. There's somebody in this world that needs to say I'm thankful for your scars. Are you willing to say I'm thankful for my scars? I'm going to invite you to come forward. If God has spoken to you this morning, 
and you find yourself having agreed to one of these symptoms of the Jezebel spirit, come and repent. Come and repent. And as you come, bring your communion cup. Make sure you bring your masks. Try and social distance. If you've reflected to something that Pastor Mary was talking about, finding yourself not receiving or accepting the identity that Jesus Christ has given you, and you find yourself feeling broken and wanting, come forward, come to the cross. Jesus Christ wants to set you free. Why don't you stand with me? Do you know as you stand, it's easier to be, take an act of obedience? And even now as I'm speaking, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that some of you are glued to your spot because of fear, because of the Jezebel spirit. The moment that God works through us and in us, in your story, in a way that brings glory, I am thankful. I rejoice because I am beautifully broken. Can you say it with me? I am beautifully broken. Do you believe it? Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through this song. God, sometimes it is so hard. It is so hard to go through life. The brokenness stares me straight in the face. My inadequacies, my failures. Father God, I just pray because as I stand here in front of these people, 
Father God, you show me, you're showing me your love for them. Because your heart's desire is not for them to feel broken. Not for them to go to bed at night wanting. But your desire is for them to experience the fullness of who you are. To recognize that in their brokenness, there is incredible beauty. And it's a good thing. But also, Father God, for some here, they find themselves having given way to the fear of Jezebel. I declare in this very moment, in the name of Jesus Christ, that the Jezebel spirit has to go. You are preparing your bride, the church, to be glorious and free, spotless. And as you're doing that, the enemy is waging. And we see that. Thank you for your revelation. Thank you for your understanding. And as we gather here together as a united body, Father God, I thank you for your broken, the brokenness of your son, Jesus Christ that he allowed himself. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the nature of humanity, allowing himself to be broken, to be hung on a cross for us so that we could experience completeness and wholeness in him, not in our own ability, but in him. And so as we partake of this bread this morning, Father God, we do this as a reminder of that incredible love, but also a reminder of how we need to love others around us in such a way that we allow ourselves to be thankful for our scars. And as we take of the, partake of this together, may we be reminded in Jesus' name. As I look at this and how this vessel is beautifully broken and all of the marks, all of the places where there may be cracks in our lives, they should serve as a remembrance, as a memorial. When we look at each mark of what God has done, and we remember the scar there and we remember what God has done. And in essence, that scar now becomes your God mark. You've been marked for Jesus. Are you willing to bear your mark for Jesus? Are you willing to show the world Jesus? and what he's done for you. And your brokenness is like no one else's brokenness. It's unique to you, it's your journey. But in the awesomeness of God and what God does is that your brokenness is always connected with somebody else's. 
and our journeys are going to intersect and overlap with others. And by our willingness to show our scar, our God mark, and what Jesus has done for us, we pour into each other's lives. Healing, forgiveness. We show each other mercy. We cover each other with strength and with dignity because that's what Jesus does for us. Because of his shed blood, he clothed us, he redeemed us, and he gave us dignity. We don't have to be ashamed anymore. We can come to him because of what he did. And then because of what he did, we can go and show others, look what Jesus did. This is my God, Mark. And in the place where I'm so discouraged and I'm so broken for my own self, I can look at my God, Mark, and I can remember, Lord, you were faithful then. You will be faithful now. So Father, as we receive the cup, we remember, we bring back to our minds and our hearts a stirring up of faith, remembering what you've done, Lord, that you were faithful then, you're gonna be faithful now. Father, that inside your children, inside your sons and daughters, you're stirring up that power within us, the power of Jesus Christ for faith, for boldness, for courage, the strength to forgive that which we feel like we can't forget. It's unforgivable. Lord, I thank you for your grace to forgive one another. I thank you for your grace and your healing over us, that we would be able to love each other and not compare ourselves to one another. Father, I thank you that we would keep our eyes on you, that we would run the race that you have set for us. We would stay in our own lane, Lord. But when you tell us to, Lord, we pass that baton and we give and we do what you've told, told us to do, Lord, and we obey. And we submit ourselves to you, Father. So, Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us, that qualifies us, that equips us and makes us whole, that we don't have to strive for it, Lord. You've given it to us. So I thank you, Lord, for the working out of that salvation in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for the pouring over of the blood of Jesus inside each and every one of our hearts and in our lives from the top of our heads to the tips of our toes. And I thank you, Father, for what you are doing and what you have done. And that in your people, you are rising up inside of us and that we are willing to bear our God mark and allow your glory to come forth and shine through us in Jesus' name. this time we want to continue to worship the Lord in obedience and submission to him to take up our tithes and offerings WCF you are so faithful in your obedience to give to God 
And He is so faithful to give back to us and bless us as we delight in Him and as we serve Him. So Lord Jesus, I thank You for the tithe that comes into the storehouse. I thank You, Father, for Your sons and daughters who are so faithful to bring into the storehouse the wealth that You have given. I thank you, Lord, that you multiply it 30, 60, and 100 fold, and it goes out and it accomplishes, God, all that you have sent it out to do, Father. And what has left our hand, Lord Jesus, will never leave our life because it goes out and it accomplishes, Father God, eternal things, things that only can be done through you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Father God, for the privilege and the honor of allowing us, your children, to be partakers of that inheritance, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we store up treasures in heaven this day, Father, where no moth, no canker worm, nothing can come near it, Father. And we thank you, God, that it is multiplied here on earth as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name. God bless you as you go. I thank you for coming to worship with us today. And we bless you in your week. And we thank you, Lord, that church just isn't on Sunday. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Amen? Amen. Shine bright. Show your brokenness for Jesus.